We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. SRN News. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. When the false teachers came to Galatia, one of the ways that they tried to lure these Galatians away from believing the message that Paul had preached to them of salvation by grace, trying to lure them to their Judaizing message of salvation by law-keeping, was this. They tried to destroy the credibility of Paul. They attacked Paul. This is a common tactic of false teachers, attack the truth by destroying the confidence that the people who have heard the truth from this individual had in him, just destroy his credibility. And the way these false teachers did this in Galatia was by denying that Paul was an apostle. He said he's not. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians to refute false teachings that had been introduced in these young churches. An important part of this attack on the pure message of the gospel was an attack on Paul's credibility. These teachers did this by questioning whether Paul was really an apostle. Before Paul could begin to set the record straight on doctrine, he needed to defend his apostleship. That's where we are today on Verse by Verse. Welcome to today's class. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher. Verse by Verse is an outreach ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In the last lesson, Pastor Steve showed us how the epistle to the Galatians differs from nearly all of Paul's other writing. The first point in this is that the letter does not start off with any commendations, as the other epistles do. There is nothing like what he wrote to the Colossians. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in the Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. No, nothing like that for the Galatians. That's the first way in which the epistle to the Galatians is distinctive. Now, Pastor Steve goes on to the second way in which this letter differs from the others that Paul wrote. This letter is an argumentative letter, and that really leads us to the second way the Galatians is distinct from Paul's other letters. Number one, no commendation. Number two, it's argumentative for a reason. Notice how aggressive Paul is in his opening line. He doesn't simply state, as he does in all of his other letters, that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Instead, he launches into a defense of the fact that he's a true apostle of Christ. Notice verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not This is defensive, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You won't find that language in any other of Paul's letters. He goes on the offense to be defensive. Now, why would Paul do this? Pay close attention, because this is really a key to understanding not only the opening line of this letter, but the first two chapters of the letter. This is what it's about. When the false teachers came to Galatia, one of the ways that they tried to lure these Galatians away from believing the message that Paul had preached to them of salvation by grace, trying to lure them to their Judaizing message of salvation by law keeping was this. They tried to destroy the credibility of Paul. They attacked Paul. This is a common tactic of false teachers, attack the truth by destroying 
the confidence that the people who've heard the truth from this individual had in him, just destroy his credibility. And the way these false teachers did this in Galatia was by denying that Paul was an apostle. They said he's not. They claimed that Paul was not a true apostle, that he wasn't one of the 12 apostles that Jesus had chosen and those who were in Jerusalem. They said he's a self-appointed apostle who came on the scene of Christianity later than anyone else. He's different from the 12. He's a Johnny come lately. He appointed himself to this office. He wasn't called and commissioned by Christ. And they said, the message that Paul preached to you, that's not the message that the other 12 apostles preach. Paul's different. They said that Paul was simply an itinerant evangelist who had some, yes, some knowledge of Christianity, but who had deviated from the message of the other 12 apostles. They said he invented his own gospel of salvation by faith alone in order to please and accommodate the Gentiles. Remember, Paul was about the only apostle now preaching to the Gentiles. The others were preaching to Jewish people, and this issue really had not come up, but it had to come up preaching to the Gentiles. So they said, Paul invented this. He's just trying to please you. He's trying to infiltrate the Gentile world. And so he says, yeah, you don't have to keep the law of Moses, just salvation by grace. They said he's a phony. Now it's against this background of having his authority, which is the real issue here, his authority as an apostle and his message of salvation by faith alone attacked, that Paul opens this letter to the Galatians by immediately addressing these issues. And he does it by addressing three truths, establishing these truths at the onset. He will reiterate and he will emphasize these three truths throughout his letter. As I said, it actually is going to take a couple of weeks for us to cover these three introductory truths, but here they are. Let me lay it out before you. This is the big picture. Truth number one in these first five verses, Paul will defend his ministry as being a true apostle. He'll defend his ministry. Truth number two is that Paul will define his message as one of grace and salvation, not of law keeping. And truth number three is that Paul will declare that his motivation for preaching was not to try to please the Gentiles, but for the glory of God. That's the only thing that motivated him. So now that we've come to understand something of the background of this letter, we want to get into the text and see how Paul deals with these attacks from these false teachers as he starts off by, number one, he defends his ministry as an apostle. Verse one, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Notice the unique way that Paul begins this letter. He not only identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, which he does as I said, in all of his other letters, he always says that. But here he actually, as I told you already, he defends himself as a fully commissioned apostle by stating that his apostleship did not come through any man, but through Jesus Christ alone. Now, why was this so important to state that he was a true apostle sent by Christ? Well, understand this. The term apostle is very important. Apostle back then, was an official messenger, someone who not only represented his superior, but it was his authorized representative with full authority to speak and act on behalf of the one who sent him, sort of like an ambassador. In other words, to be an apostle of Christ was to have been chosen 
and trained by Jesus Christ and sent out with the gospel, sent out to proclaim Christ's truth with Christ's full authority and endorsement as his official representative. During his earthly ministry, as you'll recall, Jesus chose from amongst his followers, he chose 12 men who he called his apostles. These men were given power to perform miracles of healings, to cast out demons as signs to verify their divine authority as Christ's authorized representative, his apostles. You, we won't take the time to do this, but on your own, you can look up 2 Corinthians 12, 12, where Paul speaks of the signs of an apostle, miraculous signs, distinguishing that even in the early church, not all Christians did this. If they all did this, no one would know who's an apostle. Only apostles had this kind of power. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 say the same thing. Later, you'll recall, after Judas betrayed Christ, he was replaced by another disciple named Matthias. We read of this in Acts chapter 1, verse 26. So now you have back, you have the original, or, the, or at least at this point, 12 apostles. But in addition to the 12, James, the Lord's half-brother, as well as Barnabas, Paul's colleague in ministry, were also called apostles. We read this in Galatians 1.19. It tells us about James being an apostle. In Acts 14.4, it speaks of Barnabas being an apostle. And it was to this select group of men, these apostles of Jesus Christ, that Paul claimed he belonged. He was one of them. But the false teachers who came to Galatia said he didn't belong. He wasn't one of them. He wasn't appointed by Christ, they said, but he appointed himself as an apostle. That's why Paul so vigorously asserts at the beginning of verse one that he was an apostle. Note this, this is in the text, not sent from men. What does he mean by that? He means that no group of men, including the elders of his home church in Antioch, or perhaps the 12 apostles in Jerusalem, had appointed him to be an apostle. Nobody, no committee did this. No one got together and said, let's say Paul's an apostle. Let's lay our hands on him and say he's the apostle Paul. Paul said, no, an apostle not sent from men. Nobody sent me of any human source. He also says he was an apostle, once again, scripture. He was an apostle, nor he said, was he an apostle through the agency of man, meaning that his apostleship hadn't even come by God calling him to be an apostle. And then a man like Barnabas or someone else informing him about this calling. He's saying that nobody came along and said, Paul, God just told me you're an apostle. Paul said, no, no. He's claiming that his apostleship had absolutely nothing to do with any human being. He was an apostle because he was chosen and appointed as one, note this, directly by God the Father through Jesus Christ. And he identifies Christ as the one whom the Father has raised from the dead. Now, why would Paul at this juncture mention the resurrection of Christ being raised from the dead? Well, the reason is this, because one of the accusations by the false teachers, no doubt, was this. Unlike the 12 apostles, Paul, they said, had never seen Christ. When they were choosing Matthias to replace Judas, they said it had to be somebody who's seen Christ. It had to be someone who's seen the risen Savior. They said Paul came later. Paul had not seen Christ, but you know what? They were absolutely wrong. Paul did see Christ. Paul saw Christ. Paul had seen Christ. Jesus, if you'll recall, had appeared to him on the road to Damascus when he was an unsaved Pharisee bringing letters to Damascus to try to get authority to 
kill and punish Christians. It was on that road that the Lord revealed himself to Paul, had saved him, and had directly commissioned him to be an apostle. And by the way, let me just add this. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that I saw Christ. He said he was a witness of the resurrection of Christ. So these men were absolutely wrong. But let me show you Acts chapter 26, which is probably the clearest statement in the Bible of Paul's, not only his conversion, but his call to be an apostle. Acts chapter 26, here's his testimony to a man by the name of King Agrippa. Here's what happened to Paul. As I said, this is clearer than any other place in the Bible of what actually took place on the road to Damascus. Acts 26, starting at verse 12. While so engaged, as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they might, may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. This is Paul's conversion. This is Paul's calling to be an apostle. Don't use the word apostle here, but that's the thought. He's a special witness. He goes on, notice chapter 1, verses 15 and following. For when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not, this is very important, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Paul said, when this happened, I didn't go to anyone and say, explain this to me. No, he said, I didn't do this. And this, notice, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. He's saying that he did not consult with any man to teach him the gospel, nor did he go to Jerusalem, he means to be tutored by the apostles about the intricacies of the gospel. Instead, he said, I went to Arabia and then I returned to Damascus. And then notice what he says next in verses 18 and 19. Then three years later, three years has passed. Three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas. Cephas is Peter. It's another name for Peter. And stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, three years later, Paul said he went to Jerusalem and became acquainted with with James and Peter. That's all, just acquainted. His point in saying this, folks, is to prove that he didn't get his message of salvation from Peter or James when he was in Jerusalem. He already had the message. He's had it for three years. It may very well be that for these three years, Jesus had been just revealing the intricacies and details of the gospel to him. Certainly, by this point, he knew it. It was revealed to him. He already had the message of salvation prior to visiting Peter and James in in Jerusalem. And besides this, Paul said, I was only with Peter for 15 days. Two weeks is hardly enough time to learn the many details that make up the theology of the gospel. Listen, what Paul is telling us here, 
about God giving him the gospel by personal revelation, it is extremely relevant to all of us because there are still some people today who despise the Apostle Paul. They think, this is a very common liberal view of Paul. They think that Paul was guilty of corrupting the pure message of Christianity. All the controversy we have today, it's because of Paul, they say. They claim that Jesus, and we don't really understand Jesus. Jesus was just a teacher of love and peace and tolerance, but it was Paul who came along and invented the doctrines of Christianity, and he made it so complicated, and all the controversies are attributed to him. It's his fault. Truth of the matter is that Paul did not corrupt anything. His message came directly from the Lord Jesus himself. In reality, Paul is claiming that the message of grace that he preached wasn't his message at all. It was Christ's message revealed to him by God. So listen, when you read Paul's letters, understand all the letters in the New Testament, understand that God is the source of Paul's words. Therefore, the words that Paul wrote in his letters are just as much the words of God as if Jesus uttered them from his own mouth. That's inspiration. God breathed out. As believers in Christ, this means that you and I must be in submission to everything that Paul has written because it is all breathed out by God, from God, through Paul, to us. You and I don't have the option of picking and choosing what we want to obey from Paul's letters, as some do. There are some who will take a little bit from Paul, but they vehemently object to what Paul wrote about women or marriage divorce or leadership in the church or even the gospel. As an apostle, though, Paul's words are divinely authoritative, all of them. But notice this, not only did Paul defend his authority as an apostle, he wants the Galatians to know he's not the only one saying this. He's not the only one asserting his calling. There are other believers in Christ who have affirmed him as an apostle. Notice verse two, he writes, and all the brethren who are with me, as in most of Paul's letters, He mentions other Christians who were with him when he wrote this letter. Usually he mentions their names. Here here he doesn't. And the reason is apparently the Galatians knew exactly who uh, those men and women who were with Paul. We don't know who they are. And as I said, we don't even know where Paul wrote from. But that's not important. The Galatians apparently knew where he was writing from. And they knew those who were with Paul. And apparently they esteemed these people. It's very likely Timothy was one of them because Timothy came from Galatia. But it seems obvious that based on Paul's strong words about being an apostle in context here and the fact that he doesn't mention the specific names of anyone with him, it does appear that Paul was making a point to the Galatians that there were other Christians who they respected who recognized and affirmed him as an apostle. He's not the only one. He's saying that he wasn't the only one who thought he was called by God. There were plenty of other men and women. They knew who they were. They esteemed them. They respected them. Brothers and sisters in Christ who received Paul as an apostle and his message is coming from God. So he is not someone who's just getting up on a soapbox and saying, I'm an apostle. These others have said it too. I want you to notice though, how Paul ends verse two. He simply writes that his letter was written to the various churches in Galatia. He writes to the churches, I told you plural, of Galatia. Now this may seem like a small thing, but it is very significant. I want to focus on something here. This is a very important statement in light of what Paul has just been teaching us about his authority as an apostle. And here's the reason I say this. Roman Catholic theology teaches that the church wrote the Bible. Do you know that? That's 
their teaching. The church wrote the Bible, they say. And therefore, they say, the church has authority over the Bible. This is why Vatican believes that it can add or modify the Bible and that its official pronouncements carry the same weight and authority as Scripture, even when those pronouncements are in opposition to the very clear, plain teaching of Scripture. But Paul and all the other apostles would have argued vehemently against this because as apostles, they represented Jesus Christ as he spoke to his church through them. As apostles, they spoke to the church and not on behalf of the church. Therefore, their words carry the weight of biblical authority, and the church is simply to receive their words, believe them, obey them, not change them in any way. Listen to these profound words from John Stott. He writes, and I quote, The Roman Catholics teach that since the Bible authors were churchmen, the church wrote the Bible. Therefore, the church is over the Bible and has authority not only to interpret it, but also to supplement it. But it is misleading to say that the church wrote the Bible. The apostles, the authors of the New Testament, were apostles of Christ, not of the church. And they wrote their letters as apostles of Christ, not of the church. Paul did not begin this epistle. Paul, an apostle of the church, commissioned by the church to write to the Galatians. On the contrary, he's careful to maintain that his commission and his message were from God They were not from any man or group of men such as the church. End of quote. Profound truth. Understand this. And realize that the primary truth on Paul's heart as he begins this letter is authority. He wants us to know that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And therefore his message of salvation by grace alone through faith in Christ alone is the true and only gospel message to be believed and received. So the question is this, have you received that message? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by grace alone, through faith alone? Or have you made the grave error of adding something to faith? The only hope, folks, that any of us have to be saved is to place our trust in Christ and his atoning death on the cross alone for our salvation. If you add your performance to it, whether it be baptism, doing good deeds, confirmation, anything that's you, then you have nullified faith and you have nullified Christ's death. If there's anything we can do to be righteous in God's sight, then why in the world would Jesus die for our sins? There's no reason, no reason to. But he did die for sinners like us because it is only through faith in his payment for our sins that we can be saved and we can be declared righteous in his sight. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And he meant through faith in me alone. So I urge you, if you have never trusted Christ alone, then do so before it's too late. Otherwise, you will die in your sins you already are a Christian, then I urge you to make sure that you are in submission to all of the word of God, not just the parts that you like. Why? Simply because it is the word of God. It is the word of God. It is not the word of man. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've taught us this morning as we embark on this journey through Galatians. I pray it will change us, Lord. I pray it'll change those who have never been saved, that they will see perhaps for the first time the grace of God. Lord, I pray they would see that on the cross, it's the only remedy for sin. And they would forget themselves, see their own unrighteousness, 
see the futility of trying to merit their way to heaven. I pray, Father, that you would reveal your son to them, that some who have been caught up in churchianity would be delivered from the bondage of sin and be truly saved. Some who maybe have thought that they've been saved for years, but they're not. I pray that they will. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help all of us to be in submission to your word and to recognize that whatever scripture says, we don't argue with it. We don't debate it. We just try to understand it so that we can believe it and obey it. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's the core of the message to the Epistle to the Galatians that we'll be studying for the next couple of weeks on Verse by Verse. There is nothing that we can do to complete the redemption that Jesus offers. We can't work our way to heaven. It's only through Jesus' sacrifice that we can be made right before God. Today's program is the conclusion of a three-part message. You can order a CD at no cost with all three parts on one CD if you'll call us at 727-239-0306. Ask for 1501 Galatians Introduction Part 1. Or you can download today's study from our website, versebyverseradio.org, also at no cost. And uh, while you're there, browse around, check out the other messages that you might want to hear again, including the first two in this series. Uh, You can sign up also for our free podcast service. If the Lord leads you to do so, we provide a link on our webpage if you'd like to send in a contribution to help keep this program on the air. Our phone number again is 727-239-0306, and our website is versebyverseradio.org. Verse by Verse Ministries is headquartered at Lakeside Community Chapel, 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater, Florida. For Pastor Steve Kreloff, this is Jerry Peterson thanking you for listening. Encouraging you in Christ. Long before the pain, God was there. Long before the struggle, God was there. Someone want to ask somebody that was going through a trial, this is where was God when the tragedy happened? The answer was the same place he was when it was all good. Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTBN.